Welcome to this episode of the Real Sports Science Podcast, episode 44 and our volume number two in the summer series 2023. And we have another guest on. We got Jamie Lowry, uh, another graduate of the SNC Masters at Loughborough 2021, I believe, or 20, uh, yeah, 2021. So the year, a year senior to Matt. <laughs> Uh, and now works at Wellington College as the SNC coach, or or better better like as the athletic development. Is it still called a coach, or it's just athletic development lead? The athletic development lead. Um, we are the Real Sports Science Podcast. This is episode forty three. Let's go. Jamie, welcome. Really excited to have you on. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Yeah, not bad. Um, right, so we got to start off the podcast. Jamie, an absolute legend, coming on the podcast on his birthday. Hmm. Well, you know, so big, big happy, happy birthday. birthday to Jamie Lowry. That's a first having a having a a guest on the show on his birthday. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys. What's a better way to start your birthday than sport, <laughs> talking about sports science? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> starting the day with sports science talk doesn't get much better than that <laughs> exactly right so right. down from here jamie tell us a little bit about yourself for the for the yeah <laughs> hopefully not <laughs> no i'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, to jamie tell us a little bit about yourself kind of yeah where you've come from maybe a bit about academic background what you're doing now what you do in your free time start there yeah cool so um but at the moment, I'm the head strength and conditioning coach at Wellington College. It's a uh, independent school in Berkshire, uh, down south, kind of near Reading, near in between Reading and London. Um, outside of that, my academic background is I did my undergrad and postgrad at Loughborough Uni. Uh, my undergrad was in sports science. My master's was in strength and conditioning, um, which I believe was the same as Matt. Um, and then in my spare time. At the moment, I'm actually on a bit of a down phase, but for the last six months, it's semi-finals twice, which is kind of the step before the CrossFit Games. Um, and on a team, should specify. Uh, last year, we did qualms. I've been pretty full on with competing with CrossFit. Um, compete sort of at a, at a reasonably high level. Um, been qualified, but there was a bit of a controversy with a teammate failing a drugs test. This year, we were just shy, um, but... You know, third time's the charm for next year. A lot of my energy's gone into that. Um, outside of that, I've really just been spending spending time with family and sorting out the the little things and trying to keep on top with work and keep things sort of a bit tight in it. A lot to unpack there. Um, just one because we could probably talk about CrossFit this entire podcast, yeah, especially easy. you know your last two seasons and kind of the up and downs that's been. Yeah. Um, I think what I what I'm interested. What did you learn, maybe about yourself, in especially going through the last two years of competing, of like of getting to the CrossFit Games or qualifying for that, and then having what happened have happened, and then as well as this year of going for it again, having a good shot, but just not being able to to make it on that weekend. Um, what have you learned about yourself in terms of like training or just how you work through things in those because of those two things? Um, so I think to, to clarify what happened as well, uh, year one, we qualified for the CrossFit Games and a teammate, the other male, failed his drug test. Uh, we got that info about three weeks before we were about to fly out. Um, obviously, no one else on the team knew about it uh, and it was, came as a big shock um, and it was a big letdown because we couldn't go. 
Uh, obviously, he's he's now serving a ban. We're not in contact. Um, haven't been since. But yeah, that was that sucked. And then this year we had a great team. We just ended up having a bit of a nightmare on one or two events and came a couple spots shy of qualifying. Um, mm. What I learned, I'd say, in the first year it was very much like, am I here as a fill-in? Am I actually good enough? Uh, and I think the answer to that was yes. And then in a, so that sort of put this year in a really good place to train. And I think once you've actually done something and you've made and you qualified for something, there's kind of a snowball effect of, oh, you can do this and things get better. I think you see that with other athletes in the, mm. in the space of, you know, an individual athlete might qualify for their first games and then go on to qualify for three more uh, just because it kind of elevates you. Um, mm. I think on top of that, uh, it sort of taught me a bit more about myself and, and how to train, okay. how to, what to focus on, how, how teams are a bit different to individuals, so how to be of more use on a team. Um, uh, and then just working with others, like I've been did team sports as a kid, but then for various reasons kind of stuck to individual sports. So having to actually put myself back into that team environment where it's obviously it's still, it's still an individual sport. It's still fitness at the end of the day, but you've really got to work together and you've got to rely on other people and people have got to rely on you. Um, so taught me a lot more about working as a team again, which is, which is nice. And actually I think one of the more enjoyable aspects of CrossFit. So even though even though in the first year when you did qualify and weren't able to go, that even for you kind of confirmed that hey, we weren't able to go, but I like I'm good enough to get there. Yeah, man. It, 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 look, it so sucked. let's do it again. Exactly. It, it sucked and it really hurt in the moment, but I think you can you can only move forward from things like that and uh, and uh, and not to I don't want to badmouth the other male that failed his drug test, although we're not exactly we don't exactly have a good relationship, but he. He he was the weaker part of the team coming into the competition that we then qualified for the games at, uh, and having qualified with him, I know he was depending just to the side of what he was taking. But the fact that we qualified with him was to say okay, if we we had another male who was even better, we could do way better. Was a sort of a nice boost um, to take from a bad situation. Um, but yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it also matured you a little bit as an athlete. Like my comp, my competing this year, although we didn't qualify, and that was for various other reasons to do with events people struggle with on the team and certain things, certain skills that were hard for certain athletes. Um, I think it helped me perform much better. I think my actual approach to the semi-finals this year was was a lot more mature, a lot less erratic, and I think I was a lot calmer, a lot had a much cooler head. Uh, and it overall yeah. went to well it's awesome i mean it, it, i was really i was watching you guys in berlin really hoping that you'd be able to get get there and looking forward to what happens next year um, thanks man that's for sure here's here, here's a question SN, snc crossfit yeah i i was making my breakfast this morning and thought of the, and thought of this question do you think snc coaches can can train somebody for crossfit or is that totally different or is it like a good snc coach could make a good crossfit coach i think 100 percent. i think i think it depends on your biases coming in i think there was a big thing for a long time where there was kind of a it's snc or it's crossfit divide and kind of like snc really didn't like crossfit because of how it maybe 
push the boundaries on certain parts of maybe the interference effect or other scientific principles that we've been taught were, you know, set in stone. Um, I think, look, if you're an open-minded CrossFit coach or you're an open-minded S&C coach, you can be good at the other. You just have to, you ultimately just have to do the training for the athlete in front of you and not for your own beliefs, really. Um, S&C for CrossFit can be quite hard, but equally, it, there's a lot of things going on, so it can be quite fun. You can try a lot of things. You can do a lot of things. Um, I think when I was when I was very lucky to intern with British Swimming, it was amazing. But it was it was a lot simpler in that they were elite athletes. Don't hurt them. It's they do the same thing pretty much every week and the same process leading up to the competition. CrossFit can be a bit crazier than that. So it is. It does take a bit more sitting down and breaking it apart. But yeah, in essence, there's no reason why a good SNC coach couldn't be a good CrossFit coach. That's interesting that you said like it's as the SNC coach. It was like, um, don't hurt them. I think Matt, you've you've mentioned that as well, especially in like team sports as well. Like there's the two like in season and in season out of season, and you're saying some some SNC coaches in season. It's like don't hurt them, mm. and then some some SNC coaches like no, actually we're gonna keep keep going after it. Matt, you, you're talking about that as well. Yeah, I think it all depends on how, uh, what sort of base that person's got. Obviously, if they're youth in youth athletic development, I think it's a lot harder because they'll be having so much stimulus from across all different sports. If they, you know, if they've got PE along with their main sport that they're playing, along with all the other academic stress. But if they build, if they say, let's let's just say, if they're in the international setup for rugby you can still push them because they would have had that strong base. Their body would have been used to it over time. So they can still sort of keep pushing during an in-season, not push to obviously great extents, but there's still within a boundary that they can still be pushing on to. So you, you both, you both did uh, the SNC masters at Loughborough. So I'd, I'd be interested to hear from both of your perspectives, um, the biggest learning that you took out of that, going into the jobs that you are now or looking for jobs after. So maybe we'll start with Jamie and then maybe Matt, if, if you can uh, answer that question after. Yeah. So the biggest takeaway I had from my masters coming into Wellington, um, I think honestly is the experiences of working with different specific groups and how to apply that forward to who you're working with. So coming into a school, yeah, I think you have to take, the the science and the the really niche things that you do with elite athletes really don't matter as much as 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 more as getting people engaged and maybe the more soft side of coaching that is you know part and parcel with school um you know the the students and athletes i work with now you know they're teenagers and pretty much you could do anything and they'd probably improve because most of them are beginners so it allows a lot more freedom to try things which is very nice um, and I think coming from my masters as well, that just taking the initiative to try different things and see if they work or don't and how to adapt them was, was a big thing. Um, and I think it was very useful. We got to do lots of practical stuff, even during the COVID year that was our masters. Um, but that was very useful coming into where we are now. Um, I'd be interested to hear what, what Matt's experiences are. The thing is, I, I found like Loughborough is a great place to be exposed to such different environments. Um, and essentially 
you know, it's such elite environments in a way that every time you're walking out, you're seeing some SNC coach train a tennis player differently towards a swimmer. And then you get the chance to actually be on a placement where either you're in charge of a program yourself or you're following a performance and actual SNC coach around and you can just badger them with a bunch of questions. So with that, it, it exposes you to different things. It puts you in your sort of gets you out of your comfort zone whilst also learning the theoretical stuff. So you're getting a chance to learn the stuff in the lecture and learn all that theory and then put it in a practical setting almost. And then once you get out into the real world, I remember like my first job, I thought, okay, crap. You know, there's a whole different side of SNC, which is the actual coaching, but I've been exposed to that. I've been exposed to meeting all these different athletes that are a high level. So sort of that shock factor got taken away from me and I was able to see, you know, I was able to adjust and adapt a whole lot quicker with that experience at Loughborough than without, if, if I never actually went there in the first place and just tried to find a job straight out of it. So I think it's that adaptability that Loughborough has helped me on massively. Right. So, so we've got a bit of a top, a topic today. Uh, I think, I think Jamie, you put something about this on your story one day. I did indeed. And Matt and I have, have teased with the idea of actually talking about this as well. So, so I was like, oh, nice. Let's talk to Jamie about it um, as an SNC coach. And the idea of uh, active recovery. And I guess, and mm. whether that's like active recovery after a bout of high intense exercise to recover for the next intense exercise or like for glycogen stores, or if it's like active recovery on your rest day to help like with DOMS and energy levels and stuff like that, which is obviously a bit more of a gray area. Um, so yeah. yes. So I guess maybe we'll, we'll throw it to Jamie uh, at, to see what you think. Um, and maybe we'll break it up. If it's like rest day, you know, rest day active recovery for that. Obviously that's a little bit difficult, more gray area or like glycogen storage. Just like, tell us your, your thoughts behind that. Um, I don't know if you can remember what you were thinking when you posted the story, uh, but just, just give us your thoughts on that. And then, and then we'll just, we'll take it from there. Yeah, I think it's, there's, it's a very sort of hot topic that is very, uh, there's sort of minimally conclusive evidence when you look at the data. Um, what is active recovery is a, is a good question, really. Um, where's the, what's the right procedure to do? What's the right intensity to work at and so forth? Um, I think a lot of people use active recovery in their programming, uh, but maybe don't use it with the intention in mind other than just doing some extra cardio or doing, it tends to be cardio, right? Um, and I think it sort of raises a question of like, is it actually better than just passive recovery, just sitting around doing nothing uh, or lying down on your rest day? Um, and there's sort of two sides to the coin as well of you know, a good aerobic system, good aerobic fitness isn't in, in and of itself going to help recovery in the long term. Uh, so you probably have to break down your active recovery sessions to a, a short-term focus or a long-term focus. Uh, and the different and the differences between the two, I think. To sort of jump ahead from the studies I've seen and read, it's very mixed and seems very inconclusive, or at least the uh, conclusions and the things they've tested don't maybe don't necessarily link to performance outcomes in many many studies. So, 
So you've got some studies that show that active recovery is better, some that passive is better, some that there's no differences. But most of these are testing on sort of molecular differences rather than actual outcome differences. So we don't really know too much. But what we do know is that over the long term, that aerobic fitness is going to help you recover, especially with sort of things like PCR system um, replenishment and muscle glycogen. But I think it is quite confusing. And the post I saw was really cool because um, it did try and break down the fact that there's two sides, the actual sessions themselves and the long-term aerobic benefits of doing some low-intensity zone two style work. Um, what are your thoughts on active recovery, David and Matt? Yeah, it is really interesting. And I, I think what you said, um, what you said about people not knowing why they're doing active recovery yeah. is is a good point. I think a lot of it does come down to like to enter to sorry to education of like, hang on, what are you doing and at, why are you doing it? Like, know why you're doing it. Yeah, I was reading some papers um, about glycogen stores. Yeah, realizing that like, okay, well, there's like I was saying, active recovery for rest days or for glycogen stores, and it was it was like you said, kind of mixed results, but it actually seemed that like passive recovery worked better for increasing glycogen stores after like an intense bout of exercise. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, the other, the other interesting thing was that there was like a f actual fiber type difference. Mm. So like if you, so at a whole muscle level, glycogen decreased during active recovery. Um, but if you looked at fiber types, fiber, like, um, type one fibers deplenished glycogen stores, but actually fiber, well, type two fibers were able to um, replenish glycogen stores during um, active recovery. Mm. So it almost comes down to like, okay, well, knowing what kind of what kind of muscles or what kind of power output you need, what kind of muscles are you trying to actually restore the glycogen to? Yeah. Are they more type two heavy? Are they type one heavy? So that, I found that really interesting. Yeah. Um, the other, the other interesting thing I found is that lactate, because I think a big thing of like active recovery, especially after intermittent exercise, mm. is the idea of like decrease, like like flush in quotes, flushing out lactate. Yeah, you know, um, and that's kind of like a, a buzzword that's been thrown around for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and they did find that active recovery did actually decrease lactate, but the but the interesting thing there is like, well, well, that could be just because like you're, you're working on your aerobic systems. Yeah. And when, when you're, when glycogen is being used, like lactate is being broken down. So like, of course it's going to decrease because it's, it's getting broken down into like hydrogen and NADH, mm. which like isn't great. So is lactate actually like in, in, in recovery sense, a good measure of like quantifying recovery level. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And I think it just highlights the, when you're talking about lactate there, that the, one of the issues with a lot of the studies is this, is this focus on things like lactate or muscle glycogen when actually when you're taking that, if we're talking here about an actual session and the recovery belts between your intervals, the, the best measure of is active recovery probably working is actually just the performance outcome. I think that's the gold standard. Uh, I think you can 
get really bogged into the some of the some of the details that maybe don't tell the whole picture. They are important, don't get me wrong, but I think we should treat when we're looking at these studies, I think some of the confusion is that a lot of them don't actually test performance outcomes in the in the forthcoming test. So if you're doing one interval compared to the next, the most important thing about active recovery or passive recovery is what was the outcome, right? Um, it's still very important to understand why, but I think a lot of the studies look at that and that's maybe where some of the confusion comes from. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I guess the difficulty with that one is is like because performance is so multifactorial mm-hmm. that maybe the second one is is better or worse simply because I don't know maybe they weren't as motivated or people weren't shouting at them yeah. as much. But that's such a good point. Like at the end of the day, if we're in a performance environment, performance is is ultimately the key. I guess I guess then a step back from that, all you're trying to do is like, okay, how do you put the body in the best possible position to give you the best chance at good performance is I guess kind of the way I look at it. Like realizing that, yeah, there's so many other things other than just, just this one measure that's going to influence performance. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. Of Well, I think as well, you look at, I've got, I think it just helps to separate the the confusion with so many studies saying one thing and saying another, uh, and ultimately being just such a mixed bag of evidence. I've got one study here that showed that you know heart rate and heart rate variables and body temperature improved with active recovery, uh, and therefore active recovery is better than passive. And then you've got the next that says passive recovery is better because of uh, various other performance measures, um, and that one did actually test subsequent performance in that in a test which was good but i think you just you've got to be careful when you're actually testing the thing that you want to know and i think ultimately with all of these conflicting pieces of evidence it sort of suggests that really it's not going to hurt it might not help for the reason you think if you're an athlete that likes it you probably can do it uh, and it's probably not going to do anything bad i think uh also approaching your training in a more long-term approach is a good idea. I think, depending on who you are. Um, but hey, look, even even for some of your more power-based stuff, having a good aerobic base is going to help you recover across the long term. So for a lot of athletes, I think doing some sort of low-intensity, maybe zones two-style training throughout the week, just to improve aerobic fitness, and it's not, it's not going to take away from your sport or particularly tire you out, is probably quite useful. Um, will the active recovery work for the reasons you're thinking it is? Maybe not, but um, I definitely think having a slightly stronger aerobic base for pretty much everyone, probably powerlifters too, uh, is is probably useful in some regard in terms of then making your actual training sessions better, making the intraset recovery better, and so forth. What do you think? Yeah, it's a it's a very key thing you said there because a lot of you know a lot of S and C as S and C coaches we can get lost in you know finding what current research has said, seeing what the evidence says in order to give up you know we're working literally for the benefit of our athletes or you know the people what our clients or whatever sort of industry in S and C you're in, um, we're working for the for them with the sole purpose of making them better and the best they can possibly be. So we're obviously trying to keep up to current research, trying to keep up to current modal- training modalities to give them that opportunity. And sometimes we can be a bit too lost. And one thing I've been sort of exposed to here is, you know, working at working at a school or working with the, the rugby boys in the UK, I'm trying to just 
trying to introduce them to so many different things because I'm like, oh, this is actually quite interesting. You guys could do this. Oh, someone's one other person's got an issue. Oh, I found this on this study. Oh, but this study um, goes against it or, you know, and then I've come here and I've realized, actually, the boys know what they're doing. Um, I, they, they can literally get on with it in the sense that they know what works for them almost. And I think that... Tell me if I'm wrong, Jamie, but I feel like you were saying that earlier. If it works for them, then at the end of the day, if there's conflicting studies, just go with what works for them and what they're happy with. As long as it's not doing any dad winch, having a good aerobic base is, you know, it, unless they're a pure power athlete, having aerobic base isn't going to hurt them at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree. What you were saying there is like if it in some things, especially when there's conflicting evidence, like some papers say yes, some papers say no, in this population and that population that like, if it works for you, and it makes you feel good, then, then do it, you know, and then we can kind of see how we can maybe modify that a little bit, depending on what the literature says, or what it doesn't. But at the end of the day, especially in the gray areas, like if it works for you, and it makes you feel good, and it makes you feel like you have better sessions, let's do that. Yeah, for sure. And I just try and sort of highlight to the athletes I work with at schools because they have questions about everything. Like I remember being a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid and you kind of want to, you know, you have every question about every supplement, every question about every training program. And I think I just try and highlight and say that, you know, say in the context of active recovery, um, it's not going to be magic. It's not going to suddenly fix your DOMS. That's going to take time. It's not going to do, you know, it, it might not do much. Um, it might just make you feel better. Uh, but yeah, again, if you like it, do it, but it's not your saving grace or it's not this one super thing you should put on a pedestal. It's just a tool you can use. The worst thing you want to do is in those gray areas, you don't want to say, no, 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 don't do what you're doing is wrong. I saw on this paper that blah, blah, blah. So like say I saw on this paper that in swimmers and football players, that won't work, but he's a rugby player and he's been doing it for three years and he's reached the highest level of performance. And then they stop doing it because you're adamant that that doesn't work. And then it throws them completely off their game. Not okay. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but like it just takes something out of them. Do you know what I mean? Like you've hindered their ritual or their sort of, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. You need to make sure your athletes are doing what they think is going to work in an evident in as much of an evidence-based way as possible, but equally making sure they understand that if they're doing this, they might like it and it might not hurt them, but it might not be magic too. And just so they can inform themselves as they go further into their training journey or their athletic journey. We had a guest a couple weeks ago who was saying, uh, we were talking about psychology and, and that aspect of performance. And he said, and we were talking, asking him basically, like, is that something you do? Like, how is that for you? Blah, blah, blah. And he basically said, look, like, I, I get some people need that. And it, and it probably helps a, really, a lot of people. For me, I don't want to do it because I feel like somebody might tell me, like, you should work on this. And I would have never thought of that as a problem until you've told me that it could be a problem. So like, kind of like, don't fix what's not broken if 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 the change may or also may not help so <laughs> it was an interesting uh, interesting take on it no for sure and i, I 100% agree with that i think as well it, it this probably has to come from your athlete first right if your athlete comes to you with hey look i really like doing a 40 minute bike ride with my friend on a thursday cuz that's my active recovery day can i still do that 
And it's like, well, well, yeah, it's probably going to be fine as long as you don't kill yourself. Um, but yeah, equally, if an athlete comes to you and they just take a rest day and they've never heard of active recovery, don't suddenly force them to do something that's not their part of their routine. One thing with active recovery and your athletes in general, and I think it's, it's useful for a teenage population that I work with and that Matt works with now, teenagers tend to cotton on to ideas being like, oh, I've got to do this now, then it's going to help me, it's going to help me. And one thing active recovery can do is, at least I found this as well, is sort of promote a false sense of you're ready to train hard again. So one thing you do have to be careful with, I've found from sort of more anecdotal experience is that, you know, it's almost like a, a big warm up as you can do something about active recovery and think, oh, I'm ready to hit a session. I can do one now. Um, and you just have to be aware that recovery for certain things does take time and you shouldn't use active recovery to sort of mask mask that and make yourself feel better and ready to go sooner than you need to. Um, I don't know what you think about that. Uh, that leads perfectly into kind of what I wanted to talk about just to, to end it off. Um, and that is the fact of how much do you think, and this is going a bit away, maybe from athletic population, but again, maybe not. Um, how much active recovery do you think gets labeled as active recovery just because people don't want to rest? And they want to be able to add in like another zone to like aerobic based session and call mm. it active recovery. And that kind of goes to what you're saying of like, they do active recovery and it's like, oh yeah, let's hit a session. You know, that is like, you're not resting. Like this is your rest day. You're not resting. Now you're just like throwing in a steady state cardio about like, you know what I mean? Like there's a fine 100%. line between that, I think. Yeah. Um, and I'd say as well, like look, it depends who you are as a as an athlete. If you if you're a recreational trainer and you you just really like exercise, n- knock yourself out. But just know you might make your recovery worse by doing that. Um, if you're a, an athlete who competes in a sport uh, and it's part of your routine, go for it. Just be careful. And then also that understanding again of the short term versus long run uh, effects. You know, if if it's part of a good program, I think. A lot of athletes who have an aerobic part to their game, so most team sports, CrossFit especially, and but then even like your power athletes who need to recover between between sets or between races, um, you probably should be doing some very some easy steady state stuff throughout the week anyway. So it should be part of your program. Um, and if you feel the need to add it in on a rest day, you suppose you've got to ask yourself. Am I doing this just because I'm sort of semi-addicted to training and I love that feeling? Or am I doing this because it's part of my program? So how long have you been with Wellington? I've just finished my second academic year. So nearly two full years. Okay. And then like when you were there, were you sort of, did it already have like a program already set in place or did you have to start it up your own? Uh, So there was a previous S&C coach. um, So there was something I sort of, I, I took and adapted to my own style. Um, it's quite, still quite small, uh, just based off the capacity of the facility we have, but there is a new facility being built over the next two years, which should change how we do things with capacity and the amount of students that can access the program. Amazing. And then, yeah, like what, one, one thing I've learned about being in, sort of speaking to some of the SNC coaches here is that in schools, they sort of, um, Nick Gill, the All Blacks S&C coach spoke about how 
these kids, these like kids who do rugby and grow up, they need to have great movement stuff so that when they get to that next stage level, they can just build on that strong base. So for example, an overhead squat, he says the kids who come into, you know, who grow up and go into that sort of all black setting that can overhead squat from a young age, they come in way more physically developed, way more like performance inclined um, to grow quicker than all the other kids. So is that something you've like sort of thought about when sort of yeah. put it, so quickly just describe to me your, your own style of coaching. So I went on a tangent there, but yeah, t- tell me what your style of coaching, like how you've transferred it to your style session. Well, a useful thing I took from an SNC at Loughborough actually was uh, he, he would come up to me and say, oh, I wish X athlete could have moved like this when we got them on the program. So I've tried to take that mindset and sort of said that my role as an SNC in a school setting is, is much less about their immediate performance in the school games or the school season, but more how can I set these students and athletes to be their best come coming into uni and whoever I pass them on to, I want to leave that in the best possible way. So I think the focus for me largely has been on movement. Everything I program at school is to an, is to an RPE just to make sure that we kind of hit certain movement standards uh, above anything else. We do push it sometimes, but that's more uh, at certain points of the year and on a case by case basis with certain students. But yeah, realistically, the, the program is centered around movement first and, and preparing for what's next as opposed to peaking in school. That, that's that's heavily important because, you know, you don't want the boys. I think I found um, that, especially in boys, physical maturation happens a lot later. Mm. In the sort of later yes. in the um, in the ages, more 16 to 18. Um, so. Yeah, you want to be able to have them move and build a strong base in those early years so that once their bodies do start growing, then there's a comfortable base to start loading, you know, putting more weights, putting them in more awkward positions per se to an extent so that once they once they do sort of grow up even further and hit those acad- academies or club levels, they've gone into the strongest position and you've sort mm. of built them to understand their body a whole lot more, which is, I think what we're doing, we're setting up later in life. So that yeah. say, if, even if they don't even hit those ac- academies or club levels and they just play sport recreation, recreationally or train for something completely else, we've built them with those fundamentals, with that knowledge and understanding of strength and conditioning or athletic development that they can go on without us in a way and sort of take training into their own hands comfortably yeah. and knowing that they're, they've been taught safe and sort of, research-based evidence-based ways yeah for sure and if there's one thing i found as well I'm, I'm very lucky with some of the boys at wellington especially in the sick form that have sort of created their own culture of of making it cool to move well um which has actually been really helpful for me i i've maybe had a small impact on that but that's largely come from them i think it's trying to let that trickle down to the younger years i think the biggest push we've had this year is trying to promote that sort of movement efficiency and moving well and and wanting wanting to master different movements in the younger years um because they're getting into the gym much earlier which is great and i love to see you know our younger years wanting to be there wanting to squat wanting to bench press wanting to do all all different kinds of things but they're the ones that sort of want to go and and test their prs every single session um whereas actually older up as as you go up the school 
there's a, a stronger culture towards moving well. So I think it's trying to make that trickle down a bit faster is our biggest focus at the moment. This is, it's been great chatting with you. I think we will, we'll probably, we'll leave it there for now because you got a birthday breakfast to go to. Uh, so <laughs> it's true. we don't want to keep you away from that as, as exciting <laughs> as this is. What you're having for your breakfast? <laughs> Ooh, I'm feeling pancakes today, you know? Yeah. Got a, pancakes is Gee. always a good shot. Protein pancakes? <laughs> nah, nah, just the, the regular old unhealthy ones. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Helps recovery, I read a study about, so I think you're good to go. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, Jamie, thank you so much for jumping on. Uh, w- it would be amazing once Matt's back if we can do something in person. We can expand yeah. on on what you and Matt were talking about there with kind of athletic development, especially in youth. Um, that, that'd be fantastic. So we'll definitely have to be in touch with that. But we really appreciate you coming on, uh, especially on the morning of your birthday fighting through the technical difficulties but but i don't hopefully hopefully you've gotten something out of it hopefully you've enjoyed it i know i've really enjoyed it really enjoyed talking to you um it's it's been yeah it's great to speak to you guys um and thank thank you for having me on um you will definitely have to do an in-person one i'll have to come up to loughborough soon and and see you david uh and get something rolling yeah jamie we can do one at roslyn park sevens yeah that would be really cool actually that would be really cool I've no idea what that there is, but, but I'll come along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky, David. Just because you two are musicians doesn't mean Jamie and I can get on about yeah, something okay, else. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've ended it, and it's working perfectly now. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, how funny. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. Oh, guys, and thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jamie. Have a cheers, fantastic dude. birthday. Yeah, cheers. Have a good day, guys. All right. See talk you to you soon. Happy birthday, Bye. bro. Catch you later. Bye.